interviews I absolutely love doing because it's the post-show kind of post-mortem, I guess. And we've got Lars Ulrich is here from Metallica this just literally stepped off stage. As they uh, dig him up and pry him up and bring, carry him up the stairs. I mean, couldn't we have met halfway down? <laughs> we could have carried oh, you yeah, up okay. if, I knew, if I knew you needed carrying. Yeah. Um, how was it for you? Uh, that was um, that was uh, that was sensational. I don't remember much of it. I remember walking up on stage, and I remember walking up your stairs. Uh, the rest of it was a bit of a blur, but um, it was great. The energy was fantastic. Uh, all I saw when I looked that way was flags, and when I looked that way was flags, and um, just uh, there was lots of uh, just real positive vibes and good positive energy, and everybody had uh, like big smiles on their faces, and um, we sort of held it together and, and played um, actually fairly decent. And um, so all around it was good. Thanks for asking. A huge <laughs> congratulations. I mean, I feel a bit relieved and emotionally drained because there's been such a build-up, isn't it? You should try to be me <laughs> in the last month. So I just feel like last month. I just feel I controversy. How do you feel? We're just in a rock and roll band coming into play your festival. Well, you, you've said it's a real privilege to do, and you said it, it was very humbling to do it. But you, um, immer you immersed yourself in this festival completely. You were here yesterday morning. Yeah, we I've saw been you here everywhere. for uh, 30 hours or so. Why did you do that? Well, I figured... Um, that if you were going to do this, I mean, everybody talks about how this is, I mean, this is something that, that penetrates at a whole nother level than any other festival anywhere. And this is obviously part of your guys' culture and history and everybody that's watching is. And I, I figured, listen, you never know with these things if you're gonna ever going to get invited back. So I figured we have one shot. I want to come in. I got my all access AAA laminate. I'm going to soak up every second that I can of this thing. And um, so we came in. Um, yeah, about 30 hours ago, and last night we saw Skrillex, we saw uh, Arcade Fire, we saw bands, we walked everywhere. Uh, me and like a crew of five or six. Actually, Nick, um, you know, Emily's, Emily's hus husband, Emily yeah. husband was our gracious host and was kind enough to take us everywhere, and we saw every little sort of area and every little village and every little tent, and it was just such an amazing experience. Wow. And um, so by the time we were done with that at four, we all felt like we sort of knew what the vibe was here. Went back and slept for a couple hours, came right back down and felt like um, that we were ready to take this on again and, and did. Wow. Well, I think you proved all the critics totally wrong tonight. You absolutely smashed it. History's been made. The first metal band to headline Glastonbury. And you mentioned on stage that Maybe you'll come back to Glastonbury in the future, Lars. We would love to. Uh, listen, first of all, I'm coming back tomorrow. Right. So I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm here the whole weekend, so I'm looking forward to Dolly tomorrow, to the Black Keys, to the Horrors, to uh, Kasabian, you know, the whole, I'll be the last one. I'll be the one, like, sweeping up, and I'll be the one walking around with a you know, garbage bag on Tuesday cleaning up. So I'll, Lars, you are I'll a Glastonbury addict. Absolutely. You're completely I, addicted to the whole festival. I'm I, glad I'm, we've sold it to you. I met Michael yesterday. Of you know, it's, it's, The whole thing's been amazing, Emily. How would you sum the it up? In, the Metallica experience at Glastonbury, how would you sum it up in a sentence? Uh, Otherworldly. Just a word. Brilliant. There Thank you, you very That's much. That's a big indeed. word for this late at night. <laughs> um, no, it's been absolutely. I, I think it's going to take a little while to, to settle in. And obviously, um, when you find yourself talking about this whole thing, for I mean, I've done like 
nine Glastonbury interviews every day the last month, and I've run out of things to say about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And now we're finally here, and uh, well, congratulations we played, and it was, tonight, it was so much fun. Yeah. Thanks well, for coming uh, to see us straight after the set as well. Again. And thanks for coming to see us straight off stage. Of course. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Enjoy tomorrow. I'm, actually, I'm still buzzed. We're gonna go up and play one more. <laughs> yeah. So forgive me. There's one more encore waiting <laughs> up there. Can I just uh, say the rabbit hole is in that direction. You yeah. should head for the rabbit that's, hole and uh, have a rabbit that's hole experience. That's where we ended up last night, oh and I'm sure that's where we'll end up tonight. Apparently, there's something about a secret underground chamber or something uh, yeah yeah you so go we'll there see if we can uh, that can be the last bastion tonight hey everyone tom here alf metallica back with yet another episode of the show as you're aware we concluded our troll through every single metallica song last year now i'm recording this episode on the first of may 2020 i can't believe how quickly time has flown and maybe nature's course correcting maybe we weren't supposed to stop the song reviews and that's why all this crazy shit is going on i don't know i'm on my ego out there but we're back we're doing another episode we're doing another show review we're looking at a show that i've wanted to talk about for a long time this is Metallica's 2014 Saturday headline slot of the Glastonbury Festival. Arguably the festival. Yeah, I'm going to say the festival because people will talk about Woodstock and stuff like that. But there was only a few Woodstocks, whereas Glastonbury's been going for, I don't know, 50 odd years or something like that. You know, and I've actually been a few times and we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about Metallica. We're going to talk about the uh, controversy that accompanied the announcement, that contextual ideas, and also the triumphant show. It's a fantastic show. It's kind of a... You know, greatest hits kind of populist idea that they're exploring here. But it's Metallica, of course. You know, they're one of the live machines out there. And they, they were stunning here. So just before we get to that, just before we get to the guest as well, Please follow the show on all our different ventures. You know, we're on Twitter, at MetallicaPod. If you want to come on the show, like today's guest, just email me, metallicapod.gmail.com. I'm always looking to do episodes, and, you know, I don't mind doing them solo here and there. You might listen to my top 10 instrumental albums that just dropped on the channel. It's a really fun thing to put together, but it's always more fun to have a co-pilot. And uh, as I say, I've got lots of ideas always percolating on the back burner. So if you want to hop on, metallicapod.gmail.com. Uh, we've got iTunes there. Leave us a review on iTunes. Patreon, of course, as well. So episodes like this go onto the page. Patreon first. Patreon's basically a, a pay-per-view for Alpha Metallica where you get premium access to all the episodes, you know, weeks, months before they drop on the main channel. Um, our YouTube channel's still in limbo at the time of us recording. It's not online. I'm sending email for an email, but uh, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, that'll be out soon. Check us out on Spotify, wherever the RSS feeds take you. And uh, yeah, so today I am joined all the way from Michigan by Brandon. Brandon, how's it going? Good. Thank you very much for having me on. No, of course. And uh, from what I gather, a fan since 96, right? Yes, sir. Um, I was about 12 years old, uh, 96, mm -hmm. and uh, it all, all, all went uphill from there, I should say. <laughs> and what, what was it? Like, do you remember your first taste of the band? Like, Yeah, um, it was uh, summer of uh, fifth grade, like last few weeks of school. Mm -hmm. um, my friend Sean... Um, he borrowed his brother's Ride the Lightning t-shirt, and he wore it to class. Nice. I saw him wearing the t-shirt, and I was just like, what is this? Yeah. I saw the chrome logo and the uh, electric chair, the lightning on the mm -hmm. back, the guy in the electric chair. that He told me it, glow, it blew in the dark, and then that just blew my little mind. <laughs> and, then, and then hearing them, I mean, so, so it's 96, so yeah. you know, we're, we're pre-Napster, we're pre-streaming. Is it just getting the CD? copying it um well um not too long before that my parents had gotten cable tv so nice. i was exposed to mtv and you know the juggernaut which was mtv mm -hmm. back then mm -hmm. um 
And right around that time is when Load started to come out. Oh, yeah. So my newly introduced Metallica fandom coincided with Load coming out. So I was like, oh, wow, I have this new band to like, this new album by this new band to like. And uh, I remember hearing Until It Sleeps and seeing the video uh, that summer. And it's, I don't know what to think. but Oh, my I, God, yeah. If you're, I like like, if you're like 12 and seeing that video, like it's very disturbing. Yeah, he's rubbing mu- Jason's got mud all over oh, himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, whole, the whole aesthetics of the video is mm-hmm. just... But, uh, yeah, I, I uh, not too long after that, I begged my parents to buy me Ride the Lightning, the album, because I saw the shirt. And, uh, yeah, that was my first album, Ride the Lightning. And going forward from there, then, I mean, I know you've seen the band quite a few times, so, you know, it's fair to say that while the fanaticism might have wavered over the years, you're a pretty diehard fan, right? Yes, sir. Uh, I kind of, like, around that time, there's no internet, you know, to like research. So like a lot of the research I had to do was, you know, Metal Edge magazine or Hit Parader magazine, which, you know, had these articles. And so I kind of fell into the, even though I was a brand new Metallica fan, I kind of fell into the uh, stereotype of, oh, they, they, like I've already had viewed them as selling out, even though they you know, I just got into them. I was like, oh, well, they mm-hmm. have this old past that everyone raves about. So I was like, that's what I need to get into. So I, I uh, took, a, took a deep dive into the first four albums. And, and that's really where my, my fan core Of course, started yeah, with. that's where it just, I mean, if you listen to those and it's your type of bag, yeah. how, how can you not be a fan for the rest of your life? Yeah, like, you know, so Rise of Lightning. And then from there on, I got Kill Em All and Puppets and Justice. I just, you can, you can pry me away from those. Now, um, I'm interested, like, just on a cultural level, like, as, as, as an American, as a music fan, whatever, Glastonbury, like, do you, do you feel like America's aware of Glastonbury, or is there any recognition? Now, when you told me I was going to be reviewing the Glastonbury Festival, I've, I've heard the name, but mm. there's, there's just so many festivals there are. in Europe, like, Bloodstock and Resurrection and yeah, you, you guys only recently do festivals. Like, America always... Yeah. like uh, There was Woodstock that I mentioned before and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But you're right. It seems to be in Europe that it's the big music festivals. The last maybe 10 years, you know... Yeah, Coachella and South by Southwest and, yeah. Coachella and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah. nothing like Europe with the, the, the history and, you know, you... I remember you... Even as a new Metallica fan, you hear about the Donington Festival. Yes, they used to of play. course, of course, Donington. Yeah, yeah. We we covered the we did Donington recently, actually, when they kind of retooled it as Escape from the Studio. Very in passing, but not like. Yeah, not it's one of those things, isn't it? Festival that it is. No, no, no. So, um, so yeah, so this is when Metallica played Glastonbury. Glastonbury's sort of hallowed ground. For those not aware, I just checked. Glastonbury was inaugurated nineteenth September, nineteen seventy. And uh, from that time, they've done 49 festivals. It's obviously been cancelled this year due to uh, Corona. And it's on a farm and it's very much a kind of family operation still. Uh, Michael Evis and his daughter, Emily. And, you know, that it's, it's a, it's a I, I've been, I've been a few times, dear listeners. I went in 2009, 2010, 2011. Actually got in a lot of trouble in 2009 because I was... Was I 16? I think I was just 17. And they knew at school, because we all bunked off school to go, and they knew because our group of friends, all eight of us weren't in for four days over the Glastonbury weekend. So, well, clearly they're not ill. They went there. But that was uh, it was an amazing trio of headliners as well. Blur on the Sunday, 
Neil Young on the Friday and Bruce Springsteen on the Saturday and, and tons of other bands as well. You know, and it, and it, and it is one of these things. It's kind of the touchstone, really. Like I said before, Woodstock maybe set the template. I know there's a lot of things before Woodstock as well. But um, Glastow, it, it is kind of like, you know, it's just this 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 holy temple uh, that, that people collect around. So the idea of Metallica going, Metallica playing this was met with, you know, a lot of furore, a lot of people didn't want this to happen. And I remember when I was a bit younger in 2008, so I would have been, God, I would have been like, um, no, no, sorry, was it 2000? Yeah, it was 2008. So just before I went to the first class, I was like 15, 16, Jay-Z headlined. And that was really controversial because people were all in their britches, like, oh, you can't have hip hop at a rock festival or whatever. And obviously Metallica are going to be the first metal headliner. I mean, it's hilarious, isn't it? That like people don't recognise Metallica for just being one of the biggest bands in the world, like because they're thrashy, because they're metal. Oh, you can't bear the thought of them playing Glastow. I mean, yeah, they have a diamond selling album. I mean, yeah. not many. They're one of the biggest bands in the history of music. Like, I don't, yeah. But I, I, I'm glad you brought up Woodstock because looking into it as you, as I was looking into Glastonbury myself, I was, I, a kind of American comparison would be as if Woodstock had kept going all these years. And but Metallica did know. play Woodstock though when it when it came back. So it's yeah, yeah. But but I know I know what you're saying. It'd be like kind of the hippie aesthetic of Woodstock almost. Yeah. If yeah. It, if it, if Anthrax headlined Woodstock, which is a, which in 1969, which is a really weird kind of amalgam. But um, but yeah, in the press. Kind of like Jay-Z, and I remember the whole Jay-Z thing. That was, like, crazy. That was virile in the press. But, um, you know, quite a few bands, when Metallica were announced as the third headliner, so they were announced as the headliner, uh, I think, in May. So just building up to the festival. And Glastonbury is one of those things as well, we should say. Like, it's such a huge festival that it sells out near instantly. Like, like just... Uh, just being announced people go it is like a mini city as well i remember neil young said that when i saw him in 2009 it has like 50 stages i'm not even joking it is exhausting to get around it is like you know they have all these big the dance stage the pyramid stage the other stage the green stage and then they have tiny little things like you know we'll get to later lars's interview on the bbc where they talk about the rabbit hole and these kind of you know these warrens where people can just dive in and stuff that have like 10 people and a dj inside but um it was interesting doing a bit of research there was a lot of backlash from a lot of big bands as well so arctic monkeys who i know have quite a big us following they headlined last year they've headlined a few times but they headlined the year before when alex turner said this quote he said quote i'm not sure it adds up i know we'd buzz off it but fundamentally could you have metallica in the hippie nucleus and then mogwai who are you know a pretty legendary post-rock band great band apparently referred to metallica as quote shite and the drummer said that Lars is unbelievably bad. But, um, you know, regardless of genre, Brandon, what it seemed to be, that the real kind of anti-nature of it seemed to be about uh, James's involvement in hunting and he's in a film about bear hunting. And I know, I know you've not been to Glastonbury, but as someone who's been a few times, it is a real kind of Greenpeace, Woodstock kind of place. And I guess the ideals just didn't mesh with the ideology of Glastonbury. Yeah, I mean, he didn't help himself much either if they had brought up the clips of uh, the year and a half in the life of Metallica. Oh, yeah. where he's just blazing guns everywhere and slamming Budweiser's. He isn't, he, it, it didn't look the best back then, but no. yeah, I could see why uh, the backlash happened on their end just mm -hmm. by the image he had portrayed. and Well, the image that was portrayed of him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, you know, Metallica, uh, sorry, Glastonbury kind of, 
fought back a little bit and the festival said, quote, there's a huge swathe of people who love Metallica to bits and just think they're absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, they're worthy headliners. And Lars, who did tons of interviews building up to it, actually joked, he referenced, because when Jay-Z played, one of his most vocal opponents was, uh, I think it was Noel, I think it was Noel Gallagher of Oasis. And he just sort of said, you know, whatever, hip-hop's not right, da 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 And Jay-Z came out to Wonderwall. Uh, with an, uh, with a, uh, I think he was playing a strap that wasn't plugged in, and it was this really nice iconoclastic statement, and then he kicked into 99 Problems, and uh, you know that's a pretty legendary kind of um, defining moment there. But uh, but yeah, here we have uh, here we have James and all the rest of the boys coming on to the stage, regardless, it doesn't matter. They were booked here, and just looking back at the Saturday as well. So Khalees played earlier, then Lana Del Rey, then Robert Plant, then Jack White actually essentially opened for Metallica, uh, and then Metallica came on at quarter to ten. And Jack White um, played a little bit of Enter Sandman, apparently. I don't know if you saw that, but I saw a little clip yeah. on it, which was, yes. I, I, I love that. I love that you played homage before the big boys came on. Yeah, that's, that was great. I mean, Jack, uh, good news paying, paying tribute to the boys like that yeah yeah definitely and i mean you know J jack white's just an astonishing guitar player and and the white stripes of headline glasto and detroit michigan's own jack mm -hmm. white that's right that's yeah, right i'm looking at the uh, lineup from the 2014 festival and i mean it's a it's a great lineup i mean yeah. it's stacked. yeah it is I mean, to be to be completely honest i'd never heard of the th uh kaz kazabian uh, oh, oh, Kasabian. You not heard of Kasabian? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I, they've not. They're, they're huge over here, but I don't think they broke in America. I think you you would definitely recognize one or two of their riffs. They're always on adverts and stuff. But yeah, interesting. But I mean, looking I mean, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Yeah. Vincent Black. He's Robert Plant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Arcade yeah. Fire on the Friday uh, and uh, Rodrigo and Gabriella, who kind of became famous through covering Metallica. They were on the Friday as well. You got uh, De La Soul and Jurassic 5. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, they cover every... Because that was the complaint, really. That's what a lot of people didn't understand. Because Glastonbury, it's not like Download or Donington. It's all music. Like, okay, it has a rock base. But it's all music. It's popular music. And they often have rappers and stuff and, you know, jazz people and whatever. So it's like, why, why can't you have metal? Like, why are you being it feels so... like the step would be to encompass... Some hard rock and it metal. Does. It does. It feels like that's a natural, you know, and we have Download over here and other heavy festivals and Bloodstock that you mentioned. So maybe it's a little bit of a crowded field or whatever. But uh, so, yeah, that that's kind of the um, the run up to Metallica playing Glastonbury. And it's interesting to consider who Metallica were at this time as well in 2014, Brandon. I mean, this is before Hardwired. You know, yep. I mean... Now Cycles well in between albums. Cycles. Well in between. I mean, Death by Netic had been out for six, almost six years at this point, like... And we get a Death Magnetic song as well, as which is kind of the new song, so to speak, that they, that, that, which we, which we'll get into. But uh, yeah, well, before Hardwired, and at this time as well, you know, in 2014, Metallica were almost doing their Escape from the Studio kind of idea, where it's the summer and they're playing all these festivals. And you've got to think as well, like them playing, say, Rock and Ring, which I know they did slightly after, and um, Rock Rector Worked. I always, I always can't really pronounce that, but them doing those festivals. If they headline those festivals, they're the draw. They're what's selling tickets. But it's a bit different at Glastonbury. Glastonbury will sell out regardless. So they've got to kind of prove themselves to a certain extent. And before we get to the songs, the set list is interesting, isn't it? Because it pretty much is all of their biggest songs. A very um, 
abbreviated Metallica setlist. Mm-hmm. Um, short and sweet. I mean, nothing aside by you know, a couple songs. I mean, bam, hit after hit after hit. Yeah. Just, yeah, they, uh, they, you know, they, they, they. I guess that you know, they knew it. They know you can't go insular. You can't just play the the second half of Reload and hope people are going to cotton on. You know, uh, you're in front of seasoned music fans who will recognise your hits, and you know they do brighten up when when they hear Sandman or whatever. Um, but uh, but yeah, let, let's get into the set then. So the set itself kicks off, and I love this. Kicks off with a short film. So it shows that Metallica were really paying attention. This wasn't another gig to them. I'm sure they didn't do a short film when they did Rock and Ring or if they played some big Polish festival, you know what I mean? But, but they understand that this is a mythic place. And they open with a film called Glastalica, which is directed by Julian Temple, who um, is a legendary British filmmaker. Um, he's done, did a film called Pandemonium about William Wordsworth and Samuel Taylor Coleridge that I love. Probably most famously did a documentary about Glasto. Like, he's Glastonbury's documentarian. There's a 2006 film called Glastonbury, which is about the history of Glastonbury. Uh, he did the great rock and roll swindle as well. He filmed a lot of early Sex Pistols gigs. So I love that they were getting this guy. It wasn't just another filmmaker. It was, like, someone who was really, you know, died in the wall Glasto. And, uh, I mean, what can we say about this? So it opens with The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. They, uh, you know, they put it in tribute to Eli Wallach, I believe I'm saying that, or Wallach or whatever, who was Tuco, uh, who had just died briefly, uh, just died recently uh, after them coming on stage. And it cuts then to uh, a fox hunt and then playing. I mean, I mean, talk, talk us through the film. What, what did you think of this short film? Yeah, um, I saw it. Well, I loaded up. I saw it had a seven minute, uh, 34 second running time. I was like, okay, well, let's load it up. And yeah. it started off, I thought it was just, a, you know, going to be the normal good, bad, ugly, ecstasy, a gold intro. And then, yeah, it cuts to a like a traditional, I don't know if that was a movie or they, the clips were from, but yeah, like a traditional yeah. box. It is, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's playing, uh, what song is that? Uh, yeah. The Sweet. Fox on the Run by the Sweet. That's right, that's right. And and what does the fox say kind of gets mixed in a little bit. But yeah, yeah, it's the Sweet I song, yeah. I said that. I had to go back and listen to it because I wasn't... I had completely erased that song from my memory. So. <laughs> it was such a viral smash six years ago. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But yeah, and, and then... Uh, but around, around the five-minute mark, I was starting to like wonder where this is going, like what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then all hell breaks loose with the uh, the snipers. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The 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 the, the posh boys, the Tories, they're on their uh, you know the back of their horses. They're they're going off to, you know. I mean, personally, I think fox hunting's abhorrent and and it's just antiquated practice, but whatever. And they were playing on that because they know if there's one thing Glasto hate more than bear hunting, it's posh twats hunting foxes. So they kind of played into that kind of bias there. And uh, yeah, so basically, for those who haven't seen it, I'm sure many people have. It's very well shot. It's very beautiful in a certain yeah. way. Very, very kind of satisfying to watch. The, uh, the Toffs Pass... And uh, there's people dressed as bears with snipers who just shoot them all, basically. And then the bears come out and pull their heads off. And, of course, it's the guys. Uh, Rob is thrashing his luscious locks. Oh, Kirk, his, his hair looks amazing. His hair looks incredible. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah, it's resplendent. It's glowing. And uh, Kirk's playing air guitar on the rifle. And then... It, yeah. um, 
you know, and Lars is, is beaming and, and that they all just like that look having a great time. And, the, you know, the fox returns to its hole and then afterwards the you know the uh the mourners are passing with the dead corpse of one of the hunters and the fox is watching and um i mean uh you know it, it's such a wonderful little bit of miscellany isn't it like i love that they did it yeah i mean you know they don't do a lot of that like promo films before like no i mean you don't really see that and then uh to see this and then just the whole controversy that surrounded it with the hunting and then it's so tongue-in-cheek like oh James got that smile on his face when he takes off the mask. He knows exactly what he's saying. Oh yeah, like it's 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 great. It is it is it is fantastic. And uh, and then we then we cut into it. And I just want to give a shout out as well. Thank you so much to Monty Full Concerts One Hundred because with Glastonbury, people may have realised this looking for any Glastonbury shows. They're really hard to find on YouTube. Like you'll get the occasional full set, but because it's BBC or because it's Glastonbury, whatever, the copyright just tears them down. Because I mean, most people know you can find pretty much any Metallica concert on YouTube, like bootlegged or Very whatever. Well yeah, yeah, incredibly well documented. But um, you know, I remember wanting to do this episode a while ago and just being unable to find the full concert clip. So I messaged Monty, you know, he's my guy in the dark web of Metallica bootlegs and he just sent it across and, you know, it's, a, it's basically a TV rip. So it's a great quality and you know, it's what I shared with you and stuff like that. So I, guys, listen to this. You know, you might want to watch along with us or something like that, but unfortunately we're going to have to be your conduit for most of it because it is quite hard to get hold of this. And, um, uh, I mean, the stage, Brandon, let's just paint a picture for the audience because I have been to Glass Marie Force. This is the pyramid stage, as I mentioned. I have been like, and this is the, you know, this is the main stage as it were. It's got the iconic pyramid beneath. And, um, you know, in front of the boys, heaving masses, hundreds of thousands of people to festival crowd. But what I like is behind them as well, they were doing a lot of this on that tour, kind of a dedicated maybe 100, 150, like a band of fans just chanting behind. Yeah, it's, uh, I, they did that in the festivals around this time period, mm-hmm. 14, 15, and I believe they're probably fan club members, I imagine, or something. Right, right. Black ticket holders or some, yes, something. Yeah. They are lucky, whoever they are. They but, are. They are. They are just, yeah, they are behind. And it's funny, sometimes I'm, I was just re-watching the Whiskey in the Jar performance and it cuts to some guy who does not know the words, but he's just kind of chanting anyway and kind of garbling it. But, but yeah, you know, you, you guys know how it works. I'm sure you've seen it. It's kind of like the stake pit upgraded. Like, you know, you're no longer kind of your eye levels with Lars's foot. Like, you're behind the boys. And it must have been particularly thrilling for them because they saw a rare sight. You know, very few people get to see what the pyramid stage on a Saturday looks like a Saturday is normally the big band. Like when I saw it with, um, you know, Bruce Springsteen was there and I think Coldplay or whatever he liked, but obviously they're giant, uh, on the next year. So, um, yeah, we get into it and we kick into creep, which I guess makes sense as an opener, right? Creeping death. I'm um, great opener. And it's, and it's, they don't really ever open with it. Usually no. they're on an album cycle or something. And mm-hmm. creeping death as an opener is just a good treat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got the splattering of blood on the backdrop screens. Uh, James's voice sounds terrific. And I think, you know, it's worth saying, performance-wise, everyone's firing on all cylinders. Kurt doesn't miss a note. James's voice is wonderful. Like The energy right off the bat is, like, on a 10. Um, let's see. We got uh, James playing his uh, white signature snake bite. Mm-hmm. Kirk with the white zombie guitar. Lars on his uh, amber sparkle tama kit. 
And uh, Rob's got the J bass or is it a P bass? I can never tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're asking the wrong person. Their bass is all the same to me. But um, but but yeah, he, he has a bass. And in terms of what they're wearing as well, they're all wearing quite pared down stuff. Kirk rocking the rocking the plaid there, looking quite stylish. I noticed they're also all wearing black. They are. Know, was yeah. a uh, sign of anything, or just that's what because they I were black. just yeah, just color coordinated, whatever. I mean, you know, their their fashion's rarely that outlandish, but you know, James often rocks a battle vest or whatever. But that wasn't out tonight. I no, take note of what they're wearing. I was like, yeah, yeah, they're all all decked out in black. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting because it's like again, they're headlining, but and everyone's going to be there because it's the headliner. But it's like, do the crowd? I'm actually on Metallica's side, and the first test of their integrity comes when he asks the crowd to sing the chorus back. And you know, it's fair to say they're 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 full throated, like they're they're pretty devoted. Yeah, it's it's crowd sounds great um, when they're singing, um, and even when they go into the uh, the die. Oh yeah, die. He, he doesn't have to usher them in; they're doing it straight away, like yeah. which I loved. Yeah, they they know what to do. Mm-hmm. And then Lars also has the uh, he has the bald ponytail look going on. Yes. Uh, yeah yeah and just you know uh kirk nails a solo i've said before on the show many times i think the creeping death solo is one of the metallica solos and he just fucking murders it i love towards the end as well when they're doing the harmony like james pulls like a goofy like dad face like he pulls this quite absurd like uh, kind of grimace that i thought was quite funny and played into his humor and um i mean i don't know about you brandon but I, I, one of like creeping death is just bit after bit after bit riff after melody after chorus after every the solo i love the end of the song when it like carves open you know there's a lot of space for kirk just to freak out like there's so much power like you you do re- you never see metal as we said on the glastonbury stage and for them just to fucking come in with creep you know what i mean to come in with a 1984 banger i love it yeah right off ride the lightning you know oh man just high energy track and then you know once once i heard the crowd just going die i was like this is gonna be this is gonna be a good show this mm-hmm. is gonna be a really good show yeah crazy show and a lot of good games is mm-hmm. yeah yeah no totally and james james is really happy right he seems really pleased oh. to be there there you go he, he, we get a hail to fire all right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and uh you know the one-two punch Going into bells, going into another song that you know everyone's gonna know, and I love you know. You sometimes forget when you listen to bells. It's it's basically an instrumental. Like I know there's verses and choruses. Obviously, there's a lot of lyrics in the song as well. But the first two and a half minutes, nothing is sung. It's just riff after riff after riff, and it's like it is asking a lot of the average hoi polloi Glastonbury crowd to deal with that. But fucking hell, they lap it up. And there's no really no real solo in bells either, except no. for maybe like the bass inch kind of mm-hmm. like I it uh, the they got the rain going. It just starts to rain when the song starts to play, and they got smoke going through the crowd, and someone's got a flare in the crowd, and the yes. atmosphere just looked phenomenal. I'm like I just, electric. I just I wanted to be there so bad just yeah. watching it. Yeah, and it's one of those ones where it's like such a swarming crowd that there's just waves and waves of people. But having been in the crowd before, it's not, it doesn't look like a typical Metallica. Like, if you think of, say, like, 
you know, Moscow, like Toshino Airfield, Mighty One or something like that, where there's mosh pits everywhere. There isn't really that. Like, and it's twofold. It's one, it's not really that demographic. And also, it's been a long day. And this is a lot, you know, this is the second day. But most people have been there since Wednesday. So this is like the fourth day. So people are quite tired. They're not kind of getting into that sort of thing. So it creates a slightly different atmosphere, but it's nevertheless very fervent, very rabid. And they are in their element. And I mean, what can you say about Bells? Like, it, it, it might be a perfect song in my eyes. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not. It's it's short. It's sweet. It's also. I noticed on this on this version of Bell, well, on this uh, concert in general, mm. the the tone, like the the, the rhythm guitar. The I, I think they're still using amps at this time, and not the uh, fractals or the Kempers. Right. And I that I noticed that immediately on on for whom the bell tolls with that dun 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 dun. Mm. I was like, oh man. That's that's an amp right there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. They probably couldn't do what they normally do, like uh, on these stages. They have to adapt because I mean, it's worth saying as well. Like that might be why they have the people behind them as opposed to the snake pit because this is just you know hundreds of bands are going to play on this stage or this festival or something. You can't tailor it as much to your own specifications. So um, you know, yeah, they they work out how into that to a certain extent, and um, you know, it's a, it's quick in a sense. Really, you go from creep, you go from bells. There's barely five seconds of feedback from Bells until the Rome, the tapes played, you know, near straight yeah, away. Uh, extended Kirk outro on Bells no. that he's been known to do with the, uh, he, that solo at the end that he usually does. There's none of that. It goes just right into wherever I may roam. That's right. That's right. And um, I mean, I love the push and pull. I love the tidal nature, as I say, of this song. And, um, I mean, they're just so comfortable in this track, which is quite a deceptively tricky track in the verses, in the riffs, in the in the way they move about on it. But this is a supreme version. Like, you know, I I think they're free for free at this point. Well, to be honest, the whole set, they're like they're like 17 for 17 or whatever it is. But um, they're just like, even if maybe you weren't on board with the whole Metallica thing, they're too heavy, whatever. No one could deny that they are really putting on a clinic at this point. Yeah, I mean, once you hear the main riff of wherever my may roam, I mean, if you're not sold by that, I mean, just go back to your tent. And... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there's plenty more stages at Glastonbury. Like there's there's literally hundreds. So yeah, just go just go anywhere else. And um, I mean, the more I listen to the Rome, uh, which I, you know it has. I, I want to say it's grown on me, but it's not like I've never. I've always thought the song's brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but it's just Kirk solos. There's just a certain mercurial, kind of elusive nature about them that I love. His legato is absolutely fiery. Yeah. sounds terrific on this. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Rome is just fantastic. And after this, we get our first point of actual contact with Glasto, with the crowd, through James. And he... Um, you know, he says, you know, he talks about how he's so grateful to be there, how they're repping the heavier side of music. And he points out the paradox that we touched on earlier that, you know, Glastonbury, it's all represented apart from metal. Like, like it seems like we'll have anything. We'll have hip hop. We'll have freestyle jazz. We'll have bebop. We'll have pop. You know, we'll have whatever. But, uh, you know, we won't have this. And uh, he also talks about all the, you know, the British heavy metal bands as well that want to be here. And uh, I like that. I like that mention. Yeah, it's his first uh, address to the crowd. And he doesn't really have a lot of banter at all in this show. No. Um, he kind of just, you know, wants to play the songs. But, yeah, he, he dedicates Sad But True to uh, all the British bands who dreamed of headlining and haven't. And mm -hmm. it was really it was really nice. It was. It was. And I guess it's a bit different, isn't it? Because when you 
when you're just there to see James when it's their show, like he's got them in the palm of his hand. And it's not that he has to win them over or whatever, but yeah, it is a bit of a different show. It's kind of, here's our hits, you know, we're trying to win you over. They're kind of not trying to win them over, but you know what I mean? They're trying to kind of sell brand Metallica to people who might not be convinced. And um, I mean, they do it with sad. So here we have, yeah, they kick into Sam But True. Uh, the fourth song. I mean, what you sang before, the amps totally hit to me because, yeah, there is such a monster crunch to this. Yeah, especially the down-tuned. I don't know what they're tuned oh, to. Oh, my on. God. It's just, I mean, you know, and what I, what I find impressive as well, James is still able vocally to veer off in certain directions, you know, duh, you know, and sort of go in certain lines. Like, he's still got that range, you know? Yeah, I, I always love hearing live versions of songs i'm so familiar with which is pretty much every metallica song but when with the live versions you just get like things you don't get like little harmonies little vocal things whether it be like whether it work or whether it doesn't work i mean either way it's cool to hear them just experimenting with songs they've had for so long Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i mean james has always wanted you know he'll always kind of go into that direction and uh embellish certain ideas you know I don't want to say negative because it wasn't a negative, but um, we do hear Rob's background vocals in this song. And, uh, I mean, it goes without saying they're not really a patch on Jason, right? I mean, songs like Say But True or, you know, One, you really miss Jason's background vocals. Like, I never worry about Rob's bass playing. He can play anything you give him. We oh all know God, that. Yeah. It's just those harmonies with James on the background vocals. That's what I really miss about, you know, Jason being there. The, that, the blend, wasn't it? It was like on a Jerry Cantrell, Lane Stanley sort of level. Like They just merged so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, uh, you know, so they, they push on now. And, uh, you know, they go, again, it's just hit after hit after hit. It just, you kind of take for granted how many masterpieces this band have. They could just pull them out. And there's loads of songs on this set that they don't even touch on. You know, we don't yeah. hear, like... Ride the Lightning, we don't hear Battery, we don't hear Black and Harvester, you know, and I'm sure there's loads I've just missed, you know, there's so many that just don't have the time, really, to dwell upon, and they made, like, a whole other set of... They could, yeah, yeah, totally, they could have totally done another set playing none of the songs that are at Glastonbury, and no one would have been disappointed, I mean, maybe, okay, Sandman, nothing else matters, you've kind of got to do those big Black Album numbers, but, yeah, 80% of the set, they could have exchanged for anything else, and um, then we go into Fade, which I don't know about how you feel about Faye, Brandon, but for me personally, it's one of the greatest songs ever written. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, of course, off Ride the Lightning, which mm-hmm. holds the yep, yep, the T-shirt, yep. And they've already played, you know, three eighths of Ride the Lightning, you know, with Fade to Black. That's right true, here. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Holy shit! Uh, <laughs> what an album. <laughs> It's just insane. It's absolutely insane. Like they have no their second album doesn't have any right to be that good, nor does it have any right to be such a leap from Killamore. But um what what did you think of uh, the fifth song they play, Fate to Black? Um great rendition. We get to see uh James's Lion Six little acoustic guitar uh, MIDI guitar uh that he has uh on the mic stand that he switches off with. Um the outro sound Lars goes into the double bass early, which I don't blame him. He just, mm-hmm. he just wants to rock at the oh, show. Yeah. Lars' energy on this show is so great. Lars, He's just... Let's not get it twisted. Lars loves Glastonbury. Yeah, like, Lars is obsessed with Glastonbury. Like I love. Like we'll, we'll mention the interview at the end, but uh, but you can almost feel it. You know what I mean? He, this yeah, is this very is a, evident in this show. It's, it's very playing. evident. This is different for him. Like like he he worships this place. Yeah, you can like 
I, I kind of got the feeling that he's, I was like, I bet he's going to go in early to that double. Yep, right early in the double bass part, right before Kirk starts the solo. Kirk nails the outro solo. Oh. It's just, I, it was one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar, too, was Fade to Black. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, I always the, the whole song. Did, did, did the, the lead as well? Did you learn the lead? I learned the intro lead. The outro lead, I can maybe, like, uh, in, improvise my way through, but I, I didn't. I didn't learn it note for note. That's no, for sure. no. I, yeah, I was the same. And uh, that intro lead as well. That that little like that's that's when boys become men. That's when you know you can sort of play guitar if you can do that. And um, this is such a a solemn, wonderful version. And Kirk does nail the solo, and it has such grace as well. And it's such a triumphant like. Again, you know, like Bells, like so many Metallicons, there are so many parts to it that I just adore. And when it gets into the end part as well, um, the Yesterday Seems It Never Existed, like that final solo from Kirk, yeah. it's just, it, it's orgasmic, isn't it? It truly is. I, I'm, like I said, everything on Lightning, Kirk, is just on fire. Like, it's one of those albums where you're just like, who is that? Like, yeah. you never heard <laughs> Metallica, what mm-hmm. what is that who is that mm-hmm. who taught him like what's going on yeah but yeah he just he nails the outro solo and yeah i, I so far with the set I, I couldn't be more happy yeah yeah again guys like i'm kind of sorry because this set isn't really freely available online but uh definitely seek out this glasto set it's a very different set to uh normal metallica um you know fodder so uh james talks again here after fade comes with speech yeah. What did you think about this speech? Because it's quite, it, you know, despite James maybe being on the face of it at odds with uh, the Glastonbury ethos, he extols a lot of their virtues. He speaks about doing your part with integrity and morals, etc. Yeah, it gets pretty, uh, pretty crunchy here. I got uh, his four questions written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, do you want to see Earth a better place? Yeah. <laughs> number two, are you doing your part to do so with integrity? Number three, do you want to be seen and loved for who you are? And number four, does music move your soul? Damn. And, uh, I mean, it's hard to argue with any of those. No, but no, we no. See, uh, <laughs> when, he's, when he's asking the question, we see Kirk nodding along with him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, all the guys embody that. And it was quite funny, actually. So I, was, I was seeking out um, contemporary reviews at the time of this show because obviously you know it's, it's a blasphemy headline show so they get reviewed by all the big newspapers over here and i found the guardian review and uh they said so they, they kind of reviewed it in an interesting way where they sort of spoke about where and when what people were wearing a kind of obtuse way and they spoke about the high points and low points so they said high point very simply fade to black which you know hard to disagree with again one of the greatest songs ever written low point quote Hetfield making a hippie-ish speech about making the world a better place. A nice sentiment, but not perhaps one entirely befitting introducing a song called Cyanide. Now, I mean, <laughs> that's a funny quote. Don't get me wrong. I, I, and I appreciate the journalist has been very tongue-in-cheek, like da-da-da. But, um, you know, them playing Cyanide. Regardless, you know, Metallica, they're a people's band, but they're a brand. And they've got to sell the new record to a certain extent. And they play Cyanide. Would you have preferred another classic in this slot? Were you were you happy with Cyanide or? Now, although I mean I love Death Magnetic. That's a great album, and I, I like Cyanide. Great song, but it just it seems kind of odd here. Mm-hmm. Like they there's what seven years out from the album at this point. Yeah, 
like uh six just, yeah yeah so 20 2008 yeah so six yeah, yeah a, lo- a long time like half a decade yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, i i suppose they played it just so they wouldn't be like quote unquote like a legacy act or like a greatest hits act so mm-hmm. they let's play something from our last album even though it was six years ago but i mean i think harvester would have worked better here personally yeah or just that should not be a, something i don't know but we get cyanide and they yeah. do a good job no no they do and uh, don't worry i love cyanide i think cyanide I, I love death magnetic as a whole i think cyanide is a terrific song and they're great with it and it's kind of you know i think maybe it would have been nice for people who would have been reared on the, the old albums maybe they'd only heard of the black album or ever been like oh this is a new song oh this is actually quite mathy and quite complex and you know they're, they're, they're testing themselves and it's not just kind of a chuggy rocker or whatever like they're actually going out into the into the weeds into the marshes and i love the trickiness of this and uh, you know i love the fact that it's glastonbury but it's still a metallica show so you know they're still kind of going to throw it out there they could have done i would have preferred harvester i would have preferred blackened you know i would have preferred until it sleeps or king nothing or you know what i mean like but yeah, still dozens of songs they could have oh played no, there's hundreds yeah yeah there's so many songs they could have played here but um you know regardless they nail it and there was only one thing that I again I don't I'm not critiquing it because I think this is such a good show. But you know, towards the end of Harvest, uh, sorry, towards the end of Cyanide, after the solo, there's that harmony bit, and then it goes into the bass. There's a weird bit where it kind of the tone sounds a bit weak. I can't really explain it. Like it, it, it almost sounds like there's nothing going on on the stage, and then Rob's bass comes in. That was just a little thing I picked up on, but it wasn't even a mistake. It was just kind of the balance of it or whatever. But they play Cyanide. And I can't imagine the kind of people who were just there because it's Glastonbury were a bit like, okay, what's this song? But they're pulled straight back into it, Brandon, because we get the Unforgiven next. Yeah, right into, you know, again, one of their greatest songs ever written with one of the greatest solos ever performed. Oh, come on, yeah. Just every time I hear that solo, just... I I, I get... uh, Go to that part in a year and a half of the life of with Bob. Oh Rock yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. to get it out of them, and just to know what it took to like get to that solo is cool to know. No, definitely, and, and you can hear it like like in the same way that you yeah. can feel how much Lars loves Glasto and his drumming. Like you can you can feel the Bob Rock kind of tuition in in that solo, and um, I love in the solo actually because yeah, the whole thing's great. I love in the solo just before it kicks off because you know one of the cool things about Metallica is just before Kirk soloing. James will ad-lib some shit, Mr. Hammer or whatever, or just bark or, you know, whatever comes out. And he just goes, oh, oh, oh. And as Kirk kicks in and um, Kirk fills it up. Kirk leaps forward with the solo. It's very Hollywood solo. I've said before, and I mean that in a good way. You know, it's very guitar hero solo. It's a real triumph. And um, yeah, the, the Unforgiven performance, excellent yet again, right? Yeah, I gave it, uh, well, I did rate uh every song overall and this got a okay. nine out of ten for me definitely nine out of ten nine um nice it one part towards the end kind of threw me off is um when the song's ending um and they're strumming on like the outro um james is strumming on the midi guitar and mm. not his electric and it kind of sounds like he, i noticed on other live footage that he usually strums on the electric and not the midi and it, it just it kind of sounded like a little 
Days of the Newish or like kind of a, like a unplug there at the end. Sure, I mean da- Days of the New who supported Metallica as well. Yes, mm-hmm. during the uh, those during dark the, years. Yeah, it's like the reload because Days of the New who were a band that I we did I did an episode solo episode on Metallica support bands. And I only discovered them through that probably a year ago. What's that song they have, like, Kickstand Jam? That's not a bad song, though. Yeah, but that's what I kind of noticed. They had, like, a little little Days of the Newish tone at the end where he's just he's yeah. strumming on that MIDI, and Kirk's not doubling him, so it's kind of weird sounding. But it was, it was cool, and I'm, like I said, 9 out of 10 for me. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, yeah. It's just, it's just weird, cool to hear that ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, as I say, they played a new one. So they, uh, you know, they double down with a classic, uh, just just to reiterate that. And then we push forward, you know, we're now into the legacy again with memory. I mean, you know, uh, the only reload track that we get here, the only load reload track that we get here, real shot in the arm, crowd friendly, built for the sing along. And um, I mean, they they never not like again like people know who listen to the show. I'm not the biggest fan of Memory or whatever, but they never don't nail this song because it is the essence of call and response, isn't it? And people love it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's uh, such a simple song compared to a lot of their other songs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really hard to mess it up, like music wise. And it's every time I hear, um, I kind of wonder if they wrote it knowing they couldn't take Marianne Faithful like out on tour with them like <laughs> this would be a great crowd part like or like if they planned on doing a tape or you know what they planned on doing but either way like you know the the crowd participation in memory remains is always a high point of oh, man. a set for me yeah because i'm not a big fan of the Marianne Faithful singing in the studio version mm-hmm. to tell you the truth mm-hmm. yeah yeah i know so, what you mean that roaring crowd is just makes a song 10 times better for me absolutely and you know speaking of the crowd chanting along we kick into one of course they're going to play one and i love the fact that the crowd are chanting along to the actual riff itself that james is yeah. starting after the uh after the mortify after the trench almost water. like a american crowd does you know yeah 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 exactly yeah and uh yeah that was just that was, that was quite striking actually i wouldn't have anticipated that and james looks out to the audience and you know behind him the soldiers are marching behind and um you know in front of them but behind lars are the fans who are you know very solemn and um I mean, one again, you know, one of those songs that you can just etch onto the tablets of time and just be like, this is one of the ones. This is this is, this is like a magnificent track. And um, one of the things I always like, Brandon, is when um, Hetfield sings "Sticks in Me." You know, when he goes, when he embellishes his voice that way, and uh, you know, he does that, and he screams a really wiry and anguished. And this is such a pummeling masterpiece. Like, fuck me. Yeah, you you don't really get a lot of wide shots from outside the stage, but they do a wide shot right before the the song starts, and you, mm. it, the, the whole spectacle of just it looks amazing. And then you see the soldiers on the screens marching, yeah. and yeah, you, like you said, you hear the crowd singing the oh, it's a man, it's electric, so electric. It really is. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of it, it's spellbinding like it reminds me like i love hearing them chanting it reminds me a little bit like i always get um you know hairs on the uh, on the back of my neck when i hear the snm one version of one as well like i think that's just a wonderful version and this kind of strays into that 
territory. Love this. They absolutely nail this. Towards the end, the harmonies that are going down. I love that all three of them are in a line. So Rob, Kirk, and James. And they're all doing yeah. those moves. And James, like, he looks a bit like a beaver. Like, he's baring his two front teeth. Like, he's really, you know, he's really into guitar. You like, bite your lip. Like, he's just really in that mode. And, uh, I mean, the boys don't miss a beat. One into master, which is just a real sideswiper. Yeah. Um, like you said, they just nail the machine gun part of one. Kirk yeah. nails the solo. It just ends on a super high note. And then you just hear the dun, dun, dun. You know, mm. Here we go. Like this, oh, yeah. this was a really energy pickup for me. Not that I needed energy from the show, but like, I was like, oh man, like, Anytime I hear Masters live, because it's one of those songs that from their old catalog that they always play. Like, I always know when I see Metallica live, I'm going to hear Master. Mm. Oh, yeah. And so, like, it's it's always a high point for me to look forward to in any live Metallica set. And here they play it freaking flawlessly. Lars is doing crazy double bursts in the double bass bursts. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. It really does, and I, one of the things that I saw that I've not really seen before is on the intro, the bum, 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 on the bum, 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 James took his hand off the fretboard and put the horns up and just sort of smashed them in time, which I think was really cool. And there does seem to be a few pits forming in the front of the stage at this point. You know, the crowd are real fret, and they're just singing it back, and um, you know, glaster of puppets, if you will, and it's cool to hear James singing glasto and... Um, that wonderful solo that he has in the middle of the breakdown. It's so earthy. I mean, the bends are just so rich. And um, yeah, I mean, what else can you say? It's Master of Puppets. It's Metallica. They they body it completely. Yeah, Kirk nails this. I gave this Kirk solo 10 out of 10. It was, I mean, of course, he couldn't hit the super high note because, you know. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that was that. It. yeah, yeah. Uh, I gave James a solo 10 out of 10. The mm -hmm. harmonies and just, I, you can never go wrong with. Oh puppets. man, they're just such a such a well-oiled machine at this point. You know, they just. So glad, I'm so glad they stopped doing the shortened version of it. That they oh were doing. yeah, what? Well, yeah, that that was a that needs to be forgetting in the '90s, like their cigars and their haircuts and stuff. It's just a bit of a, a misstep, perhaps. Gonna play master, just play the whole. Just thing. play, yeah, just play it. it. And it's like it's not like it's 20 minutes long. It's eight minutes long. Like you know what I mean? It's not like it's not a dream theater song or something. So I don't really know why they did that, but. Whatever, Master Terrian, they went for that kind of idea. And um, after that, Kirk takes the spotlight and we get a little solo piece, which I thought was really cool, actually. So he just plays Sanitarium intro and some Bleeding Me as well, which I, I loved hearing him do that. It was, uh, it said Kirk, uh, on the official Metallic website, you said it says Kirk solo. So I, you know, all right, here we go. Kirk's about to solo. But then, yeah, we just get some clean parts of Welcome Home and, uh, Bleeding Me, which is, I I love Bleeding Me, so mm -hmm. I, I honestly thought they were going to play it for a second, because I didn't look at the set list uh, beforehand, before I watched it. But Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, not, wasn't it? Yeah, not, not a traditional Kirk Hammett ripping solo, but a cool little interlude, and I liked it. No, no, it was nice, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit, you know, palate cleanser, so to speak, and it was just kind of him yeah. out there 
with the spotlight, him and, you know, I don't know what the size of the crowd would be, 100,000, 200,000, something like that, and, uh, you know, everyone into it. And even if you've not heard these songs before, I think particularly the Bleeding Me solo has such a groove to it, has such an essence that you can just get on board of it, you know, sonically, it's quite intriguing. And, um, you know, we all know as fans where this is going, of course, is pulling into Nothing Else Matters, which, um, I mean, again, you know, how many versions of this have we seen? And... They never, it's never not special. It, it never doesn't evoke something deep within, you know? Yeah, and every time I see uh, Kirk start to play the intro, uh, I always wonder about, like, again, uh, a year and a half in the life of when they're about to debut the song live and James is kind of ripping, uh, ribbing them for not knowing the song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, always wondered if he's like, they made him play it after that, like every time. If he's like, I'll do it every time. Like, it just—it's funny just to just to see him come up there. It's, it's, you, you would think James would always start the song, but we get we get Kirk doing it always, and I, I like it. We do, we do, and uh, you know, we get James's solo as well, which one of the best Metallica solos. And you know, people know again. Listen to this show. One of my favorite things in music is when a guitar solo ends a song and sort of takes the reins of a track. And you can't go wrong. Like those final bends, those final leaps in the notes, those slides, like uh, they just, they just hit me, Brandon. I, I can't get over the Nothing Else Matters solo. Yeah, that's one of the uh, the few solos that I, I I can I can nail when mm. it comes to playing metal music. I'm more of a rhythm player myself, but uh, the yeah. It's, James nails it. He hangs on those last notes. He's on his knees. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just ringing it out. Like, and uh, I think Clint said recently on Metal Your Podcast about James's lead playing and how it's very idiosyncratic. And he was right, like, just in terms of the bends. Like, it's, it's a bit easy to emulate Kirk, I suppose. Whereas James has just got a lot of his own personality and, and his soul uh, on, on the fretboard as he goes through. But, yeah, they do master. And you guys know what's coming next. It's the song that even... You know, the people who maybe weren't down Metallica were waiting for Sandman. I mean, thoughts on this version of Sandman? Um, uh, it was kind of loose, I thought, like on the intro. Mm. Um, James kind of does the thing where he lets the uh, E minor just ring out instead of chugging it. Which, uh, I don't, whatever, it's his song, you do whatever mm-hmm. he wants. But uh, yeah, I just I noticed that. But then right when the groove kicks in, tight, tight as can be crowds jumping like say man say what you will about the poppiness or whatever like it's it's an amazing song it's an amazing it really, song. oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah incredible song love the song and uh you know i like i like everyone sort of on the floor at the start james is on his knees rob is straight up crustacean mm-hmm. yeah For- crab walk yeah oh so much crab so much crab walk and uh you know Everyone, cla- James invoking everyone to clap, uh, you know, right towards the end as well. And I'm pretty sure, I don't know if you notice this, I'm pretty sure you see a guy smoking a joint, like, at the front of the crowd. There's, like, a guy just taking a long hit off something as the song ends, which uh, I'm pretty happy that they captured. But, um, yeah, this Sandman version is insane, and that closes the main set. So we have a little bit of a break here. You know, it's Glastonbury, so, of course, it's going to be a fucking encore. Coming back into Whiskey, which was an interesting choice, wasn't it? Because 
Um, this is a song that maybe, again, people are going to recognise beyond... You know, Metallica have got so many covers, but who doesn't know the Finn Lizzy version and by virtue of the Metallica version, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, traditionally also, you know, Nothing Else Matters and Entertainment usually end the set. So it's it's, it's cool to hear them, you know, go into an encore. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Whiskey in the Jar from Garage Inc., of course, made popular by Thin Lizzy. Um, I can, yeah, I can see geographically why they're playing it. And it, it, it sounds, it sounds great. It does. And I think Lizzy, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a Lizzy fanatic, but I'm pretty sure I've read that they have played Glastonbury as well. But, you know, they're just a beloved band over here in Ireland and stuff like that. Um, you know, in, in, in Europe, Britain entirely. So it was nice that they did that. And, uh, you know, it's a great version. And James calls the crowd beautiful. And then we get kind of our final James monologue where he talks about family, right? Just for Seek and Destroy. Yep, yep. Um, great version of Whiskey in the Jar, like you said. And then the, during the live version of it, they also do like a, during the verses, he does a palm muted chug, which he doesn't do on the recorded version, mm -hmm. which I, I really like hearing. It makes his song just a tiny bit heavier when he's singing. Yeah. And he starts talking about family, and then uh, he calls a uh, song off his, off. what does he say? He refers to Kill 'Em All as their first album. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Doesn't even call it out by name. No, no. I guess I guess that's just, again, just to make people, you know, to clarify it to a certain extent. If you just say Kill 'Em All, maybe people, yeah. they, you know, they're aware that they're on BBC cameras or whatever, so it's a bit different for that. But um, we get Sing Destroy. We get a long version of Seeking Destroy. It's not quite on the um, binge and purge level, but almost. We get the balloons. You know, they're pulling out the budget here. You know, if you're alive out there, let's do it. James is chanting. And of course, he says, scanning the scene in Glastonbury tonight. And at certain points, James seems to almost be laughing as he's trying to sing. Like, he's kind of overwhelmed with the energy and the craziness and the love, you know? Yeah, they're, they're loving this. And then we got... Of course, the Metallica Beach Balls, mm -hmm. which uh, which they did on the Death Magnetic tour. I remember yep. those uh, those coming out at the arena when I was there. And uh, on the stage, we get like a life size beach ball that they start playing around with on stage, banting around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And uh, you know, um, it, it, yeah, again, it's a stellar version. It's kind of jammy and loose at certain points as yeah. well. Towards the end, like they're just having fun with it thing mm -hmm. where he's yeah. around doing a 360 yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah he's doing that don't have any doubts that he's not because he's doing it and uh and what i loved as well was towards the end maybe they've done this before but i don't think i've ever encountered it it ends with a freight ends of sanity like jam at the end the freight ends tease yeah they they did that at the uh stadium show in 2017 and detroit i saw them ah, at. They, nice i i I knew they weren't going to play it, but I, it, it, I love play with however many bars you want. I'll, I'll take. Oh it. yeah, oh yeah, any bar. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'll have one bar afraid, but if you're willing to do it, and uh, they throw that in there just for the trues, you know, just as a sort of um, little wink and a nod to when they'll be back to play their own stadiums and you know have their own crowds of hundreds of thousands. And uh, I love that they do that. 
And then at the end, as the show's wrapping up, they talk to the crowd. Uh, you know, Kirk says thank you. Rob gets everyone to scream. Uh, you know, Lars talks about coming down 24 hours before and walking every corner and how there's no place on this fucking earth. Like this beautiful festival, James thanks everyone. And it's very courteous, isn't it? They they aren't these enigmatic rock stars that just walk off in a haze of feedback. Like They, they, they sincerely mean thank you. Yeah, he he Lars name drops the festival, uh, Michael and uh, his daughter, and you know they they a lot of thank yous all around and bowing, and they they they're really honored to be there. It seems like it's not like oh grabbing oh. their dick and spitting, you know, they <laughs> they they're smiling and thanking, and it's it's really nice to see. You can tell there that it's a real honor for them. It is, it is, and uh, I mean, I mean, just before we get to wrapping up, like, what are your ultimate thoughts on the show? Because yeah, you, know, you got in touch with me. You said before you said you want to come on the show, and I was building up to this thing, and you know, I was very grateful that you got in touch and uh, you know, sent your links and stuff like that. Like, what did you think of the show for someone who never really considered it before? Man, it was like start to finish, energy was on ten. Um, the the crowd sounded great they needed no you know prying from james really he wasn't egging them on really they were just doing their thing and just song after song hit after hit and it was i i give it a 10 out of 10 as a festival performance as a Mm. you know part of history for metallica and for glastonbury and i it was amazing you know it's kind of Let's say in an alternate reality, because obviously, again, people maybe listen to this in five years or whatever, we beat Corona, blah, blah, blah. But Metallica was supposed to be this summer going out and playing loads of festival headline slots. And I don't think they could have bettered this Glastonbury slot at all the ones they went to in Wichita and Little Rock and what, you know, I don't know where they were going. You know what I mean? Over America? Like, it was just the vibe and the history and the sanctity and the mythology and the energy. Like it all just came together in this show. And the set list as well was just a great kind of, you know, I'm going to do two set lists and all this festival stuff and they're going to do like deep cuts and stuff. But I don't know, it just, the stars aligned here. I think I, I've rarely seen them better. They were just on it. Yeah. The, the, like I said, the energy and the significance of this show and the performance too, like that, like the, the significance of it and just made them performance wise just go out of their minds and especially like the mvp of the show for me was i'd say lars yeah he was just he he the spirit of glasto was running through his veins i think like yeah. the whole show like he was in. you could not could not keep him keep him down on those drums you just just pounding away doing double bass fills everywhere even on a what was it i think i think it was unforgiven he was Blue peppery on those fills, just he, it was it was great. Like mm-hmm. I say, Lars was the MVP of the show for sure for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And uh, you know, as you always do, guys at Metallica Pod, we like to hear your feedback. So I put a little tweet out a few hours ago, just saying we're recording this episode. Any thoughts on the show? John Foster says I was there, and it was a victory for metal. The crowd got bigger as the set went on. I will never forget some skeezy dance lads later saying, did you see Metallica? Fucking incredible, man. <laughs> Jason says, right from the start, the Julian Temple mocking intro video to Het's comments about everyone being together, united in music, to the set list, to their pure power, triumph all around. They own the day. Mark saying my mate was at the gig and he's been to every Glastonbury. He said it was the loudest thing he's ever heard. He said the ground was actually shaking. 
And finally, Ralph says, I wasn't there, but I remember the controversy before they played there because they weren't your typical Glastonbury act. And Hetfield enjoys hunting and, you know, narrating a doc about bear hunting. The band took it in their stride and even poked fun at the whole thing in a few ways. In the end, I think it's safe to say they conquered Glastonbury with an outstanding performance that boasted quite a phenomenal set. And, uh, you know, Ralph, I agree. And I just, you know, I, you know I'm a Brit. I love Glasto. I've been a few times. Uh, you know, I'm perhaps not the most, uh, you know, objective kind of guy here, but uh, I have to, I have to, you know, just agree with you, Brandon, really. I think this is one of the kind of modern Metallica shows, like the kind of like post-Death Magnetic kind of idea, like they were just on one at Glastonbury. And I, I just would have loved to see the faces on the crowd of anyone who just came to see Metallica play that night, just to see what it was all about. You know what I mean? Just who had never seen it before and just like, after the show, just to see their face, like what it looked like, you know, mm -hmm. being hit with this like amazing performance. Yeah, it was, it was. And, um, you know, you guys probably heard a clip that we put at the start of the episode, but Lars is interviewed on the BBC by Hugh Edwards. And, um, and he basically, he was, uh, you know, they were talking about, it was just him straight off the stage and he was saying how much he loved the energy and, uh, you know, how it was penetrating at a different level and how Emily Evis, who was the daughter of Michael Evis, who organised the festival, her husband Nick, was their host and showed them around. And he was saying how much he, you know, was enamoured by the whole thing and how he was going to see uh, Kasabian and the horrors. And he would actually be the one sleeping, sweeping up at the end on the Tuesday. And they asked him to sum up the whole Metallica experience at Glastow. And he said otherworldly, which, uh, I mean, I couldn't have put it better, Brandon. Yeah, he, it's a classic Lars interview. Yeah, yeah, it is. He's after the post-show Lars, he's got his, black jedi robe on and it, it, it he's still you can still you, you can see the energy on him still because he's it looks like he's like almost coming down off like molly or something the, mm -hmm. the look on yeah. his face and uh they he said they played uh the band played quote fairly decent which i thought was kind of funny <laughs> it's a little, little bit better than fairly decent i'd say they're large and uh he said, yeah, he said he walked the fest for 30 hours leading up to their uh, performance, and he ended up the night before at the rabbit hole, whatever whatever that is. Yeah, the rabbit hole. I have heard of it before. It is kind of one of these clubs inside a club. Like, Glastonbury is very much a case where, you know, um, they have the film tents. Like, like they have weird stuff. There. Like, I remember because I was there in 2010 in whenever it was, June, July. And I think they had the first debut of Toy Story 3. Like, they had the first print of it that they showed before it was out in cinemas and stuff like that. So they have these arty ideas. And the rabbit hole's one of those ones where it's kind of this warren. But they have, like, this place called Arcadia where there are these giant robots that people DJ on top of. And then they have all these food tents and drama and comedy. And, you know, it's it, 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 it's not what you would think of a music festival like it kind of goes beyond that and someone like Lars someone that's a you know hail fellow well met you know bon viveur like yeah he loves all this so he's such a music nerd that clearly he was just going through that and um you know finally I just want to consider I found this cool article online uh basically about uh, it's uh, from louder sound last year how glastonbury has finally embraced metal and it basically looks like metallica opened the gates for this so there were you know there were a few metal bands beforehand um that had been at glastonbury uh you know radiant machine nine inch nails deftones heavier side of rock had been there but 
the idea is basically that it was Metallica being there had paved the way for there now being a stage at Glastonbury um, called the, I think it's called the Scum Stage uh, yeah. by Earache. So they have like loads of heavy bands there. They have a band called Rolo Tomasi, who are a great band, uh, sort of math rock band. Bring Me the Horizon have played Gojira, Idols, The Damned, Black Futures, that sort of idea. And obviously it's not just down to Metallica, but I think they coordinated a sea change. You know, how can you not want to follow in their wake after such a triumphant performance, you know? Yeah, Eric Records is legendary, so that's cool that they have a stage there now. And I was I was looking through the uh, the uh, headliners in the years uh, after Metallica played. And, mm. uh, I mean, Foo Fighters headlined, and they did. I yeah, mean, they're, they're, they're pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're not kind of you wouldn't say metal, but yeah, no, I don't mean especially Dave's vocals. Like, he screams a lot, yeah. and and live they're they're a bit more of a you know kind of more punishing proposition. But um, I mean, to be honest with you. Glastonbury's, you know, as an entity, it's one of the few things in music that's a little bit bigger than Metallica. Like, you know, any other festival Metallica plays, they are, you know, download, whatever. They're, they're, they're the big boys. But Glastonbury just kind of transcends that to a certain extent. And I, I don't know about you, Brandon, but I can't think of any other metal band that could legitimately... Like, only maybe black sabbath if they got back together like i can't imagine iron maiden playing glass though as big as iron maiden not i love iron maiden they just i i think that for a lot of people they were just a bit too metal whereas i think metallica have a kind of an outsider appeal you know yeah metallica is one of those bands that are more they seem more accessible than the average rock band you know what i mean like they're guys and mm-hmm. they just play they love that's, yeah, no, I, I, I entirely agree. So, I mean, guys, that is uh, that is Metallica at Glastonbury. And again, you know, hopefully, if you've not seen this concert, we've elucidated you. I appreciate it. it you know, it's hard to find this online or whatever. But uh, this is a mad show. I mean, there are clips on YouTube. You can, you can see them play songs, stuff like that. But um, this has been a wild, wild show. And, you know, again, get in touch with me if you've been there. I'll read them out in a future episode, MetallicaPod.gmail.com, if you were there at Glastonbury, if you've seen it subsequently, at MetallicaPod. Uh, Brandon, finally, what about yourself? Is there anything you'd like to promote or anything like that? Um, yeah, I have a couple friends that have some bands active right now. Mm. Um, my friend Joel has a band called Human Skull. Okay. And my other friend Mike has a band called Pale Grey Lore. Pale Grey Lore, let's go. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Guys, search my what? What about yourself? Do you do any music or podcasting? Or yeah, I'm working on a uh, three piece project from, uh, myself with two other guys right now, and uh, it's kind of unique because we all play multiple instruments, so we all have different songs that we write uh, with different three different uh, lineups for the three different guys. So, all right, excellent. So that's what I'm working on right now a uh, three piece project where we rotate instruments and play different songs with those rotations. Okay, dope, dope. That's very cool. So yeah, this has been great. And you know, again, guys, if you've got any thoughts on the Glastonbury show, or if you want to come on the show, get in touch with MetallicaPod at gmail.com at MetallicaPod. We've got lots of cool stuff coming up. Um, you know, what are we doing at the moment? I'm going to be doing an episode solo where I'm going through all of the times Metallica's music have been played in TV shows and movies. And there's quite a cool, a few cool backstories uh, to explore in that. Obviously, Beavis and Butthead. Um, 
been on The Simpsons, The Sopranos a few times as well. So I'm just going to kind of wax lyrical on those ideas because I find that sort of stuff intriguing. As always, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Tell a friend about the show. Head over to Patreon. Subscribe there. Get access to the episodes before they drop. Listen to them before anyone else. Directly download it to your phone. Um, yeah. MetallicaProductGym.com is the final thing I want to say. If you want to come on the show, email me over there as well. But uh, yeah, Brandon, thank you again. This has been, it's been great. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. <laughs>